Never had it so good. 101.1 radio, the best R&B and hip hop music. The Quiet Storm every Friday and Saturday. 
Talk Radio with the best host in the business. Sports Talk Radio, every weekend night with Princess Cooper. Never had it so good radio now on 101.1. And it's 24-7, the world's best radio station. In this day and time, stereotypes are the false descriptions for all of humanity. James T. Deshay is the author of two great poetry books that attempt to describe life from a male perspective. It has been a common belief that men are unable to put into words their deepest feelings and spend most of their time focused on the surface of what life means. Thoughts, love, and reflections, and passion, desire, and contemplation take you on a journey that has very few travelers. Mr. Deshay has opened his heart and spirit up in ways that few have ever experienced. The depth of his poetry will have you reading his books and poems over and over again. You will find yourself using his passages to describe your own feelings to your family and friends. It is now time to put aside your thoughts and feelings related to the depth of men's thoughts and delve deeply into the words of James T. Deshay. Once again, he will put an end to your thoughts that men can't translate their heartfelt spirit into words. Both of these books will allow you to find comfort in the reality of the heart of men. You will spend hours trying to embrace the way men want to love and display their passion to the women they love. Don't be fooled by those books that create love through words of lust vulgarity, and unhealthy displays of sexual activities. You will discover the types of words that will allow you to rejoice in the future of what love truly means to men. Your book clubs and families will be able to discuss these words without fear. No one will have to leave the room. Both of these books can be purchased at jamestdeshay2.com and lulu.com. Feel free to reach out to the author at tlreflectionsjtd at gmail.com. This is James T. Deshay, the host of Thoughts, Love, and Reflections, brought to you by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. We're, we're talking about a subject that a scab has been pulled off of a story that over a year ago devastated our community and impacted the world in a way that how do you determine humanity? How is the state supposed to behave and how are human beings supposed to react? And so today uh, we're going to talk about the year anniversary of the death of two police officers and the story of a young man who lost his way. And I want to say to you that, um, and give you some insight or some thoughts about what it is that I know about this young man. I used to coach him in peewee football. And so I have been knowing him for a long time. I've been aware of him for a long time. Lost track of him after we coached him in peewee football at the boys club, but always tried to do our best, the coaches and I, I'm instilling in 
young people the morality of life and how to behave. I saw this young man. He brought some food to my home, and we spent a little time talking before he he murdered his girlfriend. And he was working. And anytime I see a young man working, I always think, wow, that's, at least he was working. And, uh, but, again, you don't know what kind of devastation uh, the world has put in the mind of some of these young men who have not had the best of circumstances. And so this young man has had some traumatic things happen to him, but I never would have thought after the conversation I had with him that he would have found himself in this situation. And this situation just has a lot to do with a lot of people who are trying to figure out what to do, when to do, and how to do it. And certainly you know that it is bad enough for a young man to end the life of a young girl who's carrying his baby uh, just because she no longer wants to be with him. Clearly even worse because he allowed himself after shooting her and her brother uh, to get involved in another shooting that caused the life of a young lady who was a police officer who had spent her life trying to save her community, her family, and, and everyone who crossed her path. And then to have a person, another officer, die as a result of trying to cordon off an area to kick, to catch Keith Lord. And then we have a, a, a state attorney who was elected to do her best for the community who got caught up in a situation now where she wanted to stop doing the death penalty, to no longer seek the death penalty. But after these two officers were died and after this woman had died who had a baby and Marquis had done all this harm to the community, you could see that there were a lot of people who wanted him dead, even after he was willing to give himself up and had been caught. Clearly, we know there was a, an extreme use of force used to capture him. But how could there not be when he had destroyed so many lives? So we just want to talk today about how people deal with the anguish on all sides. Marky Lloyd had a family that loved him despite what he was going through. And he had gotten to a point, obviously, where in his head, violence was a way of life. And his violent behavior caused the end of a lot of lives, three, four lives, and the injury of one. And now he stands before the court, more than likely not wanting to lose his life. And a lot of us who who don't necessarily want to believe that the state should be involved in the death penalty, 
ourselves at odds because this is a gruesome circumstance. And it's hard to not want the death penalty under these kind of situations. Reverend Smith, I'm going to go to you first because you've been a part of law enforcement and there is, and you are a minister. What I mean, it's just hard. I want to believe that the state should not be involved in the death penalty. And certainly there are other officials who believe the same thing. But it is hard to go through what this family has gone through and what this police department has gone through and not want the ultimate penalty for the ultimate crime. And we find ourselves in this situation day in and day out as a society. And, it, you know, here you have a loving husband who doesn't want anything but his wife to come home. You have a loving son who does who won't see his mother again. Uh, people who loved uh, Marquise Lloyd's ex-girlfriend who, who her mother and her brother and her family have lost. And here you have one person who made all this happen. So how do, how do we deal with this as a society, Reverend Smith? James, uh, good evening to each and every one of you on the line this afternoon. Um, I have to be hypocritical somewhat about this. Uh, I put a lot of people away myself, and some of the people that I put away have went to the gas chamber, and during that time there was an electric chair. I worked, before I became a special agent, I worked five years for the Seventh Judicial Circuit in Daytona Beach as a state attorney investigator. And I've worked strictly homicide. So I know of a lot of individuals that went to the death, received the death penalty because of. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and try to justify what this young man did. I can't do that. I just can't because my daughter, who's a sergeant on the Brevoid County Sheriff Department, I know what I would want to happen to this young man in my mind, but in my heart I know it's not right. I don't have the right to take another's life. I don't. Just because he did it, doesn't mean that we have the right to do it. I, I, don't, I don't. At this point in time, I'm not a proponent of the death penalty because number one, when they send you to uh, uh, death row, you stay on there sometimes 15, 20, 30 years anyway. So really, why don't you just give them life in prison so that they can actually have to suffer through all of this time? They're, they're, they've been taken totally away from society. Now, if somebody killed my daughter, <laughs> I guess that would be another whole thought to me. Uh, and I think about that constantly. I really do, and I pray about it. I pray about it, but I really believe in my heart that only God has the right to take another's life. Uh, even though we know we got criminals out there doing this on a constant basis. Uh, Miss Ayala, I, I'm very, I was very disappointed in her. 
that she won the election. We voted for her. She won this election, and she waited until after the election to, to tell people that she was not a proponent of the death penalty because she was in with these uh, the, uh, the right-to-live uh, people that she's still probably paying some of her way now. Um, but I'm, 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 I'm just baffled by how a man can actually shoot this lady as many times as he did, then go back and turn around and come back and stand up over her and shoot her again. I can't, I, I have to pray hard because I just can't. I just can't go along with that. I can't go along with that. And then he killed his girlfriend with a baby, his baby, in her. So we're, we're caught up now in this world with a lot of mess. People don't give a hill of bean about each other that much. I don't care. Men and women talk about love. There's, we use the word love, and they always told me love is a misunderstanding between two fools. And I know that's not true, but that's why I like to use it in that context sometimes. Sometimes it's, it's the flesh that we're in love with and not the love. This young man was wrong. He was flat out wrong. I refuse to accept any kind of justification. I do. He was not mental. He's talking about he would love right now to have a lie detector test. A lot of people think they can beat a lie detector test. It is You cannot beat that, that machine, but you can beat the examiner. I'm also a polygraph examiner, so I know better. I know I've never been beat on the polygraph machine. It's either true or it's a lie one or the other. I'm not saying I'm the greatest of anything. I'm just saying if we take our time and do it, it's good, even though they only allow it in the court if all parties agree to it. But what do we say about a young man that calls four people's lives and actually wound another? All I can do, James, is pray for this young man and ask God to forgive him, and his heart will be changed. But he hasn't, he, hasn't, he hasn't changed. Look at the way he acts in court. Look at how he act, he's acting now. He doesn't show any remorse whatsoever. So I'm, I'm here to tell you tonight, don't allow that. Don't allow your empathy and sympathy to get in front of what Miss Ayala should have done in the first place. He does deserve it. Even though I'm hypocritical, I know I'm being hypocritical right now, but he shot this woman and he's killed these others. And you mean to tell me what right do he have to do that? And but what right do we have to kill him? So what do we do? We need to drop the whole idea of a death penalty. That's what we need to do, and that's all I gotta say. Mr. Williams, Nate, what 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 are your thoughts? You know, we this is a, I mean, this this is more tragic than anything you can possibly think of. But you sit there and you have a man who 
kills a woman he supposedly loves who with child shoots her brother. And I and, and the hard thing to me is that I knew this boy as a child and knew him as an adult. And I never saw that in him. But obviously there was something wrong with his spirit that would allow his anger to have that impact. And when I read the way he killed that police officer, walked up on her and shot her in the neck, it it, it just it was so cold and calculous that I just could not imagine and I understood why people humane and and God fearing people want him to die for what he did. You know, I was uh first of all, good afternoon there good evening everybody. I was having a conversation with my mom about this topic before I got on the radio because my mom knew him when he was a little boy, and he asked my sister actually married to his family. And she said the one thing that kind of caught me off guard, she said she's not surprised that he did that. You know, she wasn't surprised he had did it sooner. Me being a soldier, when I was in Iraq, and a lot of, a lot, a lot of my stuff was that with me being a soldier, we would, we would lose soldiers all the time. And the first thing we would want was was revenge, you know, for killing a soldier. And we didn't care who it was. If you if you looked apart, we wanted revenge. Now, at saying that, the the minister in me, I had to realize just like what the other gentleman said, it's it's kind of hypocritical because I knew trying to get revenge is wrong. But it, but it didn't take it didn't take the part take away from the part of me being upset because I don't lost a brother in arms. And when I looked on the news and found out how this young man gunned down a police officer, I couldn't. I thought I was back in Iraq. I, I literally thought I was I was back overseas because the way he did it had no careless cares for life or anything. On top of that, how many other people had lost their lives behind him? And but with a calmer head, when you think about the death penalty, you know, and, and, and like, like this gentleman just said, sometimes you'd be on there for 15, 20 years. So what's the difference giving a person giving a person life? And at the end of the day, it, I just say just give them life and take the death penalty off, off the table because I think a death penalty, I think that's one of those uh, uh, choices that's, that's built on emotion. I think when you're in the moment when you hear it, you say, yes, kill him, kill him, kill him. And... Now, in saying that, I don't think he's remorse. I don't think he changed his mind. I think if he got out there on the street, I think he would do something again to jeopardize somebody else's life. So he's where he, he needs to be. And, and I'm trying to be as delicate as possible for being from a soldier perspective as being also being from a minister perspective because that's one of the hardest things, hardest times I had when I was in Iraq, knowing when to pull my trigger, not when to pull my trigger. And I thank God that I never had to pull it in a way that I would be remorseful for because at the end of the day when I sit back and think about all this I am remorseful. Anytime I had to pull my trigger, anytime I thought I had to pull it because at the end of the day I got to live with that. I'm wondering how is he living with his decisions? How is he living with the fact that he don't took people's lives and knowing that his life now is on the line? But at the end of the day I, I just I, I guess at the end of the day I just wish they were Take the death penalty off, off the table, just period. But at the same time, 
agree with the with the uh, uh, what the gentleman said also too. Uh, what the minister said, not to have empathy or sympathy for the for the situation. Because what he did, he he took somebody's life. That could have been my daughter. That could have been my sister, my mom, anything like that. And it might be a different conversation if you would have done that to my family. What I what I'm saying now. So I'm trying to say it with a with a calm conscience and with a straight heart, but at the same time. This is a tragedy, and we got to learn how to to not just just to deal with it, but do what we can to avoid these situations because this is a a careless act. This is a black on black crime. This is something that could have been avoided. And people make me mad all the time, but I'm not pulling my trigger on them. So I I, I just for right now, I'm just gonna say we just just take death penalty off the table right now. That's all I pretty much gotta say about it. Uh, Cheryl, we we are constantly talking about how inhumane people are, and and how they seemingly don't have any regard for life. And certainly, this young man, uh, as he got caught up into his emotions, and I'm telling you, I see this young man and talked to him about five or ten minutes when he delivered some food to my house, and we talked about how he used to play football for me. And I never saw it in him. And here um, we're hearing uh, that it may be a part of who he has been for a long period of time. And, you know, you don't want to believe that that kind of evil exists. And I wish I could have said something or knew something to say. But this scab just comes off because every time you read this story and hear how many lives were just decimated, by this man's actions, you want to ask yourself, is there any other sentence that would work other than the death penalty? Good evening, and how is everyone doing this evening? Um, I am in total agreement with um, Pastor Smith, and um, if I'm not mistaken, it was um, David. I'm not sure if that was his name. But um, in total agreement with him, I don't believe in the death penalty. I do believe in paying the price for what you have done. And I do believe that, you know, he should be incarcerated, lock him up, and throw away the key. Because, you know, the death penalty really is just an easy way out. But if he has to go through and made himself even if right now he don't have no remorse. I mean, sometimes maybe over the years, I don't know what kind of, you know, what do they have in the um, jails or what kind of um, classes or anything that he may have to go through. Something, even with the fact of his family praying for him and others praying for him, one day he may be made to feel just what he actually did. And dealing with that is, to me, more than just ending his life because he don't have to deal with anything at all. Um, so, I'm, like I said, I'm in total agreement with, you know, both of the um, um, callers ahead. I mean, that um, death penalty should definitely be taken off the table. Uh, D, you know, there just seems to be a lot of turmoil. We had a an elected official 
here, uh, Miss Alianda, who decided that she was not going to give anybody the death penalty. And the governor stepped in and took away all the cases that would could possibly require the death penalty. And she is now uh, reviewing her her statement because she sees that she's going to be reduced to only hearing cases that wouldn't require the death penalty at all. Uh, and so, you know, this man devastated a lot of people, without a doubt. This man devastated a husband, um, a lot, you know, three different major families. And we have to ask ourselves, you know, what is it we do as a result of the, the behavior of this young man and the lives he's impacted? And knowing that everybody, all those officers want him to receive the death penalty. Well, uh, thank you, James. Uh, I'm sorry I came in late, but I think I have the gist, the gist of the conversation. Uh, we we uh, actually talked about this particular case before, especially the uh, district attorney that was uh, geared to look like she might lose her job since she was unable, uh, unwilling to uh, implement the death penalty. Um, you know, I'm not sure if the death penalty has its power of deterrency as it once had. Uh, it appears to me that uh, a lot of times the, the perpetrators are, are the, uh, you know, the generation involved these days in such heinous crime has a disrespect for life, even their own life. Um, it is my opinion that they don't have the expectation of longevity themselves. And so with uh, if we are expecting the death penalty to be a, a deterrent, um, it may be somewhat a um, a way out for these people that, that commit these crimes because, it, uh, uh, in essence, it, it appears that their life is, is such in disarray, dis, uh, dismanagement, and in turmoil anyway, uh, I don't know, I'm not sure if the death penalty as a deterrent still has the the power to be just that. So um, that's my opinion on that. You know, and, and one of the things that we're revisiting uh, this day is because this being the first anniversary and we're now getting the um, – information about how this man walked up on a person who was on their back. The police officer was on her back, defenseless, and he shot her in the neck and then just slowly walked away to the car. And, you know, people want you to have sympathy for him because he survived. And I know the only reason he survived was because he gave himself up. And even after giving himself up, he took a brutal beating. Because had they had to forcibly take him in custody, we all know what the result would have been. And he would not have worried about that. But only because he crawled out of that house and gave himself up did he survive. Because he came close to not surviving the beating that he took at that point. You know, but we have to ask ourselves, 
if this doesn't deserve the death penalty, what in the world would? Again, four adults, excuse me, three adults were killed. One child was killed in the womb and another brother shot. And he killed the the, the, the sister, uh, his girlfriend and the other uh, black officer up close and personal. So he very well have had some issues with women at the way the way that he killed those two women. And Andre, so, you know, today was the anniversary of that, and I got to see the the husband and uh, other individuals who truly loved her try to make peace with where they were. Well, terrific Tuesday to everyone, and uh, <clears throat> I'm a little late going uh, joining in, too, so I'll listen a little bit more. But did you say you had a chance to go to the Celebration of Life, uh, James? Because I do know it was their anniversary today, and they had a lot of activities, which I thought was good because uh, we have to recognize and we talk about on this show um, uh, regularly the importance of impact and making a difference in our communities. And I do know both of those uh, police officers were positive images within our community, really trying to give back and set a good positive role model for the relationship that young children as well as uh, adults in the community will have with the police officers. And then, of course, the the, the death of his uh, ex, again, another valuable life loss. But um, I, I am familiar with the case. I've heard it. Um, with the district um, state um, attorney uh, being removed because of um, her response of not believing in and and would not execute the the death penalty. And, Andre, one of the problems is is that this this was truly devastating to the black community because all of those killed or injured happened to be all African Americans, and so you know, it is just a. It, it's inconceivable that it would have happened this way. But Reverend Smith, every injured and murdered individual were people of color, who you know that those two officers fought to keep their communities safe. Uh, they wanted to be a positive uh, force in the black community. And we know that the parents of the girl were were devastating, and they had relationships with people in the black community as well. So the black community took took a serious hit in this situation. Are you there, Reverend Smith? Oh, here, I'm here. I always have to forget to push the uh, mute button off. But anyway, yes, they did take a tremendous hit. When you lose good officers, they're in any, any, any um, segment of society, a corporation, or any workplace, you got good and bad people. But there are a lot of good cops out there, a lot of good cops out there. And these were two of very, very, very good because this young lady, she was always going 
to these community things, and she was always talking to young folks, and so was the man. And he was a big man, which made an impression on a lot of the young boys out there. And so we could talk to people when you go out in the middle of these young uh, of these uh, communities like that. And it, it, it hurts. It hurt me. Every time a cop get killed and every time a cop kills an, uh, an unarmed black man, it hurts because that's my profession. And I feel that they have lost their way and they ought to be prosecuted. I'm very upset because I know I always tell people for a fact, and, and I'm, this is a little bit off, but I'll go back to it. I'll tell you for a fact, I was with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement for 18 years, and I know for a fact that we were told, do not upset the apricot in these departments because we have to work with them. So how many times have any of you, how many times have any of you saw where a police officer did something to a, a, a black man, uh, shot him or whatever, and it was investigated by FDLE, and they found that there was wrongdoing by the policeman. Not one that you can tell me of right now. And if you can, please tell me. And I was a member of them. And I look at every case that they have an, have an interest in. In this case, this case, when this guy was beat up, they looked into that. I knew nothing was coming of that anyway. He shook, I'm sorry, but I, I just can't, I can't stand when he shot, stood up over that woman and killed her. I, I can't, I cannot have any empathy or sympathy for him. I'm sorry. God forgive me, and I pray hard on that part a lot. All of us, no matter who you are, you would have had to be a cop and, and see what's out there in the street. See what people are trying to do to you if you're a good cop. But out of all of my 27 years, I never pulled my gun over three times in 27 years. Three times. And I worked undercover most of that time. So, But this guy is not remorseful at all. And when we go back to the death penalty itself, it is not a deterrent. You were right. It's not a deterrent because they have X amount of appeals. So all of those appeals, because lawyers have made this to be so, lawyers have created this quagmire that we have in our justice system. They can appeal and appeal, and they say on that. So why not just leave that alone? Because each case costs over a million dollars to prosecute. Why not just let the guys go to jail for life? Let them go to jail for life. No appeal if, there, if there's no way. Some of them that needs to be appealed because some of the uh, public defenders that these guys have, they all they're trying to do is get through the case. And that's another wrong part, but we won't get into that. But the deterrent is that these guys, they don't do it. If you want to kill somebody, do it like they did. I'm watching Westerns right now. And when they when they did something, you can hang at six o'clock in the morning. Okay, now that's a deterrent. That's what we yeah. not thirty years or forty years later. As far as Ayala was concerned, I don't agree with nothing that she did. She hoodwinked the people. I'm sorry, she hoodwinked the people. 
And she should have told the people that she didn't believe in the death penalty in the first place. And to sit up there and allow the black community to be so in love with her, and then she turned around and wouldn't prosecute. These individuals were killing these black cops and this black woman and her baby. There's always a problem. And, and it's sad. It's very sad how we are allowing color to cover ourselves from the truth sometimes. We know right from wrong a lot of time, but we won't allow it to come out. So I'm saying, I just, I, a lot of this, I'm not a proponent of the death penalty at all. Not now. Years ago I was. But I am not now. I'm not at all. Just stop spending all this money, millions of dollars for appeals and all this stuff so lawyers can get richer and richer. So that's the way I look at it. Uh, Joyce, uh, I wanted to bring you into this. What, what what are your thoughts, Joyce, about, you know, after I heard the way he really killed this black female by walking up on her and shooting her in the neck and slowly walking away into his car after buying groceries in the Walmart, and the fact that, you know, you know, again, four adults were wounded, uh, was either wounded, three killed, and a baby in the womb died as a result of this man's behavior. And here we were uh, trying to remember these lives that were lost because of this one individual. Mm-hmm. Good afternoon, everyone. It is so sad. I, I do remember that. It happened a year ago. Um I, I don't know what to say uh, for someone who has no mercy, uh, to me, no remorse as to his actions. I wish that sometimes that our law would take on some of those of foreign countries where they make it so uh, if you do the crime, believe me, you wouldn't want to do it anymore, and they make a mockery of, of certain people, so you would hesitate as far as doing that. Secondly, I wish our law would be, what happens to when we shoot, uh, policemen shoot, shoot. Uh, it used to be that you, you don't shoot to kill. You shoot to, to just to bring a person down. And I think that a, a person can be brought down without killing that person. Um, I think the, the laws, the training definitely needs to be readdressed. And I think we have to teach our young people, too, to, to learn to respect the law. But uh, uh to that person who did that, I no, I don't think he can be reformed in any manner because I think the way that he he killed uh, the officer, uh, he has no remorse. Thank you. And Nate, you, it's amazing how many people this has touched uh, because uh, you know just to hear that your mother knew of this young man and your family has. Um, you know, merge through marriage with this young man. I, I just, you know, I would have never believed, I'm telling you, when he came in here and he talked to me, he called me Coach Deshay and was telling me everything that was going through his life, that this kind of anger and uncivilized behavior was within his spirit. You know, that's, that's the sad thing about it. Sometimes you don't see it coming. You know, and that's 
the thing about it is if you if we could have recognized it or seen it before, like my mom said, she seen some things um, when he was little and stuff like that, but nobody knows that it would get this far out of hand. And the thing is, is like, okay, what do we do now as a community? How do we, how do we recover? You know, from this because it bothered me because I'm looking at a fact I see uh, somebody's daughter got killed that was pregnant. I'm looking at two law enforcement who I call brother in arms, you know, because even I spent 23 years in the military, but when I'm in trouble, law enforcement who I call, they, they are my first responders. And not only that, it was two black officers who, who were good at their jobs. I was having this conversation uh, earlier today about I never heard that one bad thing about them, and I feel like I know them. For them to to have lost their lives behind foolishness, it to this to this moment right now, I'm torn apart because the soldier in me wants revenge. You know, I I I, I well, the soldier in me wants the firing squad, and just like um um Ralph had said earlier about it, uh, uh, like in the western um um like that movie Cleese will hang them high. If you know you're going to get hung the next day or firing squad the next day, a lot of this stuff will start, like the gentleman had said earlier, about there's no deterrent, you know, because there are so many appeals, there's so many loopholes when it comes to the death penalty. Uh, to me, it's more like called, it should be called the longevity penalty. If you can survive it, you you, you won't ever see death. So my, my thing is that we lost two officers that was good for our community. Two heroes, and people can look up anybody who wore that uniform to me. I'm told that done their job right, especially if you black, because they have to not just put on that uniform, but a lot of times they have to go against the community. Because sometimes we don't treat black officers right. We call them sellouts, call them Uncle Tom's. We, we, they don't get the respect that they require to wear that uniform. And, and, and it's a shame. And when, now that we lost two, we want to celebrate them. So I want to celebrate the black police officers that's, that are alive now just to say thank you. I want to thank thank um, that gentleman that's been in law enforcement for 27 years. He protected me when I couldn't even protect myself. So, so I say thank you because of you, I, I was able to join the military. So we, we, we just have to recover from this. And if we can see the signs and others come together uh, as a community and see what we can do to stop these things from going on because it's our community that's throwing uh, each other. And that's what that young lady who who was uh, elected to the district attorney, yeah, she kind of put one over our head and everything. But even in that, we got to recover from her too. You know, we just can't do it. She put one over our head because we got to we 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 got to we got we 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 got to over, overcome her too as well. Because at the end of the day, I'm gonna be honest, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful. No, but I do not feel sorry for him. I shall not feel sorry for him because that could have been me. He shot or could have been my mom or anybody else. And it's a shame, you know, Lord forgive me if I'm wrong, but this, as a soldier, he has to face justice. If I get a ticket for speed, then he should face justice for what he does. That's all I got to say about it on that one. And, uh, Cassie, as I go to you, I, I want to, you know, this is why it's so important for families to intervene in the lives of their brothers, their sisters, their nieces, their nephews, uh, because we have to keep our children from falling so low uh, that they're capable of committing these crazy crimes. Uh, again, I was this boy's coach, 
Uh, I talked to him as he was an adult before he killed his his uh, girlfriend for cheating on him. But so many men out here in this world think they own a woman, and it goes back to domestic violence. And this all started over domestic violence, and two officers lost their lives, as well as this girl who was pregnant, and her brother was shot because he could not accept that she wanted to move on and she no longer wanted to be with him, and he was mad that she he accused her of cheating. So now we got three people, four people shot, three people dead, and a child not born because of his jealousy. I apologize, James, and everyone else. I came in late. I'm not sure um, what the topic is. I only heard part of what the young man before me was saying about the police officers. Now, what you were saying, it, it makes me think that you're talking about the guy that was in your class years ago. Right. Well, he was, okay. he was my football. He was one of my players of my football team. I met him when he was a child. They're just talking about what evilness crept his way in his life, and he's now um, having to deal with it's the one-year anniversary of the death of these two police officers, uh, but his daughter, you know, his girlfriend, and we're just talking about how some men have such ownership of other people that when they want to leave, they feel like they have to display their feelings in an in an evil manner, and so here you have again. Uh, her brother was shot, was going to possibly die. He survived, but everybody else, he killed the girl that he supposedly loved, who was having his baby, and these two police officers died as a result of his behavior. So now we're reaching this one-year anniversary asking ourselves, you know, does he deserve the death penalty? Will we continue to give people the death penalty? And how do we alleviate the pain that is uh, that these kinds of things inflict on our community? Everybody involved in this situation was black. Yeah, it's a a very unfortunate thing, Um, James. As you said, this is a one-year anniversary, and um, I'm sure he has been dealing with that uh, from the time he was arrested all the way up until now because your your conscience is a very um, – your conscience is something that will deal with you in – in situations where you can't even deal with yourself uh, as far as him doing everything that he did. I'm sure that that his conscience is eating upon him each and every day. But I did want to say that that sin, as we were talking about a couple of days ago, that sin, that's evil, that is the enemy. The enemy goes to and fro trying to see whom he may devour. And during that time, he devours that particular man. That's what caused him to do what he did. His heart was hardened. He didn't see anything, any way out, nothing but him. 
So that's why he did what he did. Now, as far as the death penalty, I'm not for the death penalty. Unfortunately, I apologize to anybody that thinks that I should, you know, I'm not an eye for an eye, no. But I believe that justice will be served. He's in custody. He Once he goes um, uh, up to, uh, to, to court, the jury, I'm sure that they will find him guilty and he will serve his time if that's what's going to happen and for the family all we can do is pray for the family you know at this point in time and it it is a very sad situation and you know how many as as we look into this Cheryl you know we, we have to think about how many people are lives are ruined you know I mean I've had a aunt Murdered by a man who no longer who who decided that if she wasn't gonna be with him, uh, she wasn't gonna be with anybody. And she had two boys, and those two boys had to grow up with their without their loving mother, uh, because this man was so selfish. And so here we are, Cheryl, with a selfish man, and we have these men all over the place who are so committed. Uh, they're having a certain woman, uh, and if that woman doesn't have the right, by, because of them, she doesn't have the right to say, listen, I no longer want to be with you. And look at the kind of chaos that was created by this just uh, toxic relationship. You know, we've talked about toxic relationships before, but look at what kind of devastation was created because of this toxic relationship. You know, um, you're so right, and it has affected a lot of life. It affected each life that was touched by the people who got killed, um, the lives of his family as well, um, those that were associated, you know, um, those they represented. So it's a lot of lives that the ones who got killed um, affected. And it's still affecting lives. It, it affects lives when they hear the story. Um, it's going to affect lives as the coming years and years um, later, as people start to hear the story, maybe for the first time. But um, one of the things that was brought up was that um, the young man said that his mother was not surprised. And, you know, this is where it makes me believe that this was someone who fell through the cracks. What he may have been getting at home was not what he needed. He may not have been getting the nurture of whatever it is. And that's why, you know, we always say we are our brother's keeper. And sometimes we have to extend ourselves, you know, to people when we see that things are not normal, should I say. And that's why, you know, we all try to be mentors, even if it's by the way we carry ourselves in our lives. So this right here was just something in the making for him. Because for him not to feel no remorse, you know, makes me believe that he w- he had some kind of anger built up in him. 
And it came way before, you know, these incidents even occurred. So my thing is, is that, you know, we got to constantly touch the individuals in their homes and within the communities and implement more programs. Because a lot of, you know, it also makes me believe he didn't care nothing about himself as well, you know, to have done this. And, you know, we say that he have no remorse. He has probably gotten to the point where he just don't even feel anymore, you know, and probably went through that for many, many years before these incidents. You know, most of the time when something like this happens, it's usually out of a passion, um, but not, you know, more than one life of are these different lives that didn't intertwine with each other. So mm. he had a lot going on with him. And now when you say insanity, no, I don't think that he was insane. I think that he fell through the cracks, you know, and it probably was at his home. And D, you know, we talk a lot, when we talk about domestic violence, we talk a lot about, um, how young men need to learn how to accept the decisions of other individuals. How in the world can you get so angry at what someone willing to leave you that you really need to destroy all these lives that got destroyed because somebody is not as much into you as you are into them? I mean, we have to help train our young men to recognize they have to just take it. Uh, I know that here I am at 57, and that there there have been women in my life that I didn't want to leave me, but I don't love someone else so much that I'm willing to destroy myself and everybody around me. So we, we're, we're going to have to, at some point, we talk about being our brother's keeper, parents, again, parents, aunts, uncles, nephews, and all these families, when we see our loved ones, as a inability to deal with, uh, you know, hardship, we need to help him by getting him some help. Because look at the devastation that this boy has caused just because somebody wanted to break up with him. But James, you know, I I, I really appreciate the question. Um, you know, um, er, every situation in life. Seems to have a two side to the story, a two headed coin, if you will. Uh, you know, first of all, before I forget, I want to say that I uh, I feel you all's pain, uh, yours and Nate, uh, having known some of these people. Uh, one side of the coin is how do one deal with such tragedy in their story on a spiritual level especially when we understand that God knows the beginning and the end of our story. And so, and, and accepting that, how does the loved ones left behind uh, ask for strength to get through this tragedy that they had to, uh, had to endure? Uh, the other side of the coin is uh, what Michelle just talked about, uh, the, the person that was apparently mentally ill, and it was known to be a fact for some time. Um, you know, I have an in-law in my family, um, in my new family, 
uh, he has issues with a relationship uh, and a strange wife and a newly acquired girlfriend has been in his life for ever since, well, for years and years. She's always been, if you will, if I can use the term, the chick on the side. Um, this in-law has these issues of not being able to uh, re- uh, accept rejection, even though that he is the culprit in bringing turmoil in both these women's lives. Uh, uh, in both of their lives, they, they both had to have restraining order on each other. And then uh, when... Uh, when the male the male wants to uh, be involved with either of the females, they they remove the restraining order, and then in as 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 habit would have it, um, he acts out, and then the restraining order has to be put back into place. That's an issue that when we talk about the aunties knowing that these individuals have problems. The sisters know that these individuals have these problems growing up. A lot of times they are the enablers of these individuals, uh, the, 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 the subject matter in hand, the, the, the man issue. They are the enablers because they love their their siblings, uh, but they don't do what's necessary. They They have no idea what tough love really means. And so uh, when the subject matter denied that I don't have no problem, I'm not the problem, I don't have no problem, uh, it, 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 it dro- it's dropped right there. So when Michelle said it falls through the crack, yeah, it falls through the crack because the, the siblings don't have a leg to stand on. And then when this person grows out and he's unleashed into society, and society will have their way with you, especially if you are e- uh, emotionally ill-equipped to handle life on life's terms, then um, you have a, uh, a incident such as this. So you know, going forward, um, you know, we as as a society have a lot of work to do. You know, again, I, I keep saying, even on a fundamental basis, we got you know we got to make sure. But in for the next twenty-five years going forward, that our young children. Understand the difference between right and wrong. When I say no, I mean no. Because when the police said no, he gonna mean no. And and we got to know, make sure that they they understand how to act. You know. And quickly before I go, you remember the shooting in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, uh, South Carolina, uh, the shooting in the church. You know when the victims had to face their the the perpetrator of that crime in court, uh, they forgave him. Now, I don't know if they did it because it was the thing to do, being a person of faith, or they had some insight that we have work to do as a society. And, you know, so to uh, to execute the man, yeah, you can try to make an example out of him, but the, but the, the problem is way deep, deeper than that. And uh, so uh, I'm just going to rest right there and thank you, James. All right, we're going to take a short break, and we'll come back and continue our conversation. Oh! 
I thank you yes. for your 23 years of service. I really do. I am a 100% disabled veteran from the Vietnam era. Uh, so I just ask God to continue to bless and keep you because a lot of people don't know Iraq was a little bit almost as worse than Vietnam was because we fought the enemy and didn't know the enemy. But you don't know who you're shooting at over there either. You were shooting at anyway. But praise God, God brought you home, and we continue to pray for you and continue on in your life, young man. Now, uh, James, yeah, we, we, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight because none of this stuff that we are going through now started happening overnight. It's been uh, uh, actually, I believe within myself, I really do, that it's been seeded in us, that we are to be uh, our machoism, uh, our egos, uh, whatever the situation may be. I think it all stems back from the days of slavery on up through time that we have been systematically programmed to be in the situations that we're in to a certain extent. And if we are not powerful enough by the grace of God, the only way that you can change yourself is you got to change yourself through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other way for you to make a change. We can pretend that we are doing what is right. We can pretend, but we've got to go at these young men and these young women as though they were our own loved ones, and they are, because we are our brother's keeper. We are our brother's keeper. So I'm saying that I'm not a proponent. I can't stand to see a man hit a woman. I can't stand that. Every scar on me right now came from stepping in between a man and his wife or a man and his girlfriend. Every scar that I got on, except my operations and stuff. But I'm telling you, I, that, to me, that's the utmost of a, of a punk and a coward. I'm sorry. God forgive me. But I don't feel like here we are. I'm six foot three and a half, 275 pounds. If I hit a woman, God knows where she's going. Okay? That's crazy. That's crazy to be hitting on folks. My mama told me if you didn't raise them, I mean, if their parents didn't raise them, who are you to raise them? Think about your own mother and your own sister. Would you want somebody hitting on them? And nobody better not hit my daughters. So, you know, it's, it's domestic violence is a problem, and we must teach this to the young folks. And the churches are just as much to blame because we did not take the time to call on Every time you look in the uh, uh, papers now, you see a woman's uh, retreat, a women's retreat, a women's seminar. Where are the men's seminar? I've asked that, and I'm saying to myself, Giles, you, you're a man. Why aren't you out there doing this? And so this is why I'm getting involved now, trying to do something, call some of these things together, call some of these young men together with my new program, Haven's Hope so that we can try and talk to some of these young men and help veterans also. So we've got to do that. Now let me go one step further, and then I'm through. When uh, I think it was Kathy or Joyce one was talking about wounding, a police officer wounding uh, a, a, a perpetrator. That used to happen. It used to happen. And they found out. And it is very true, this I know for a fact, that 
they actually were getting sued every time you would shoot one of those perpetrators or whatever trying to wound him, they would come back and sue the department. And the juries or the judges were actually saying to themselves, well, you could have done something else to stop him if you can shoot him and wound him. So they start teaching us to double tap, double tap. Every time you shoot at somebody, an officer shoot at them, they're supposed to double tap. That means if you're missing the first time, you get him the second time, but you ought to hit him twice. But the thing that most people fail to understand, and I'm pretty sure that Nate can, uh, can, can back me up on this, when somebody's shooting back at you, it makes a whole lot of difference. Okay? Shooting at a silhouette is one thing, but shooting at a human being, you shooting to try to hit what you can hit. And, and that's true. Now, when you got these cops shooting these unarmed men, they just, they just idiots. That's, I'm not, never will condone that. But I just want to say wounding is out of the question. I tell my daughter right now, baby, I want to see you reach your certain age or whatever. When I die, I want to be gone before you. Shoot to kill, okay? But only if it's necessary. Only if it's necessary. So domestic violence, yeah, we've got a job to do. God bless. And Cheryl, you know, we we recognize there are a number of people on this show who have sons and daughters. And, you know, when we look at the tragedy that resulted because of this young man uh, saying he loved this woman and the fact that three people died as a result of of what he says is love, that girl had moved on, went to her parents' house. He felt it necessary to go back over there to try to convince her not to leave him. And it is, and he went over there with malice because he went carrying a gun. So why would you need a gun with you if you were going over there to try to win her heart back? You know, because of the violence and the rage that he had in him, um, you know, and I can't, my heart goes out to, you know, her, I mean, you know, because of the situation in the family, because I know um, just this past weekend, a husband who left his wife after remarrying her for the second time, and no sooner than he remarried her, he started up with someone else, and he let his wife and his two children move eight hours away. And she, I mean, she wants the children to be a part of his life. So she met him halfway to pick the children up. Well, he he let, because he disrespected his wife, the girlfriend took the lead and disrespected her as well. He is six feet six. She's five, about five five. He threw her to the ground, broke her arm, and hit her head. And they pulled off with the children devastated. But he does these things because the mama has opposed him all his life. 
So that incident, it started at home. You know, and my thing is, is that somebody like that, women need to stay far away from as possible. And we see the red flag, and this lady, this girlfriend, is that how can you disrespect the mother of your children in front of your children and hurt her? And thank God, because he do carry a gun, that he did not use the gun. But he thinks he's invincible, and that's what they think. They think if they can't have their way and get what they want, they will use a means of violence. And like I said, I'm just, you know, thank God he didn't use a gun because everywhere he goes, he carried one. And his mama uphold him. So, you know, we don't know what the parents are doing in the household, and that's why we say so, you know, many times over and over. Wherever we are, in the school, in the churches, if we can reach out to these children and help change some of the behavior, especially at a young age. You know, what happened to the churches that used to pick up the young kids that came to church and they were eagerly and ready to come to church? And I went to a church like that in Mississippi. And guess what? Those same little boys and girls became ministers in the church, deacons in the church, in spite of the parents not going to church. So we have on all different levels that we need to make it a point to continue to reach out to these that are lost and and call them out. Call them out because the behavior only gets worse, only gets worse. So it's happening all over, the violence, the killing, the rage, and it's the anger. And and a lot of it comes because they have no value for themselves, so they don't value no one else. Indeed, what is so sad about it, again, we go back to the, the beginning of what triggered this devastating situation was a man unable to say or accept no. Uh, you know, I sit back and I think about I've been married twice. Uh, I have cared and loved for a number of different people. And, uh, and at some point, they have chosen to go their own way. But my uh, love for them did not go over to the point where I was going to dominate and control them despite what they wanted. Because every person has the right to want what they want when they want it, and you can't control other people's feelings or emotions related to a relationship. But James, you know, I think you're absolutely right. Um, uh, again, I got to pick it back on what Miss Cheryl said. You know, uh, you know, we got to start holding people accountable at a young age. Now, when you speak about uh, how things used to be. 
you know, a lot of a lot of the parents today they didn't have people holding them accountable. Uh, they didn't have people calling them out because they are all of a, of the same era. Um, uh, it may be even fair to say that the mother of this uh, this young man that we're speaking of, uh, uh, that parenting um, age group, the same era. They are not of the the parents on this phone. Uh, so now that that being said, it, it's important now. Like Miss Cheryl said, when we see something wrong, we need to we need to call them out, and not be afraid to call them out and and say something to them, the parents or the or the, or the caretaker of these kids, and make them give you an answer of why they letting them get away with that. Because if we don't call them out, a lot of times they don't know. The parents don't know. They don't know what it takes to raise a child in That's the problem, I think. So um, fundamentals, again, you know, uh, and lastly, uh, I think we got to rediscover what it is that we're supposed to be. Well, there's a, there's been a disconnect on where it was, where it is that we're supposed to be going as a people and as a culture. So we got to rediscover where it, what it is that we're supposed to be doing and make that connection one more time. Thank you, James. And Cassie, you know I'll go to you. You have two sons, and as much as you want your sons to find someone that they truly love, you don't want their love to grow into a sickness. Uh, and we have to rationalize that we can't control people and what they want to do with their lives, no matter how much we might love them. Yes, you're absolutely right, and I talk to them all the time about that, and uh, me and my husband, we try to show them the other side all the time. We love on each other. We always affectionate and talking through everything, and we try to show them a good example of what a couple is supposed to look like so that they won't um, gravitate to the other side, but it's... um, that situation, even as like Joyce, I mean, I'm not sure, I think it was Cheryl was saying that she knows someone. I know several people that are going through that and have went through that same thing. This one young lady I grew up with is incarcerated right now because she killed her husband. Um, My nephew is in jail because he continued to jump on his girlfriend. I mean, you know, it's, it's not like it's on the other side of the world is right here in our circle. And we must begin to talk to these young people, you know, even the more about how they are supposed to treat a young lady and vice versa, how a young lady is supposed to treat them. And if they don't get along, then they need to depart, not try to stay together, even if there is a baby involved, because it ends up bad. It's not a good look, and um, it's a sad situation, but all you could do is pray and talk to them about how it is supposed to be. Yeah, it, it, it is so disheartening, and they don't, you know, some of them don't even understand. We all understand how painful love is and how you might want to win over the person that you love but if your love turns into violence and you can't control your emotion and the rage that's inside of you, uh, Cassie, then there's something wrong with that. 
you know, your love should not be uh, allow you to be violent. And if it does, you need to regroup and find somebody else that you can be with that doesn't create that that uh, emotion in you. Uh, and and I know that God, you know, again, when I say that, you know, it's, it's a statement that says it's better to love and loss than never to love at all. And every time that I've lost someone that I love, it was hurtful. It was painful. But you cannot turn that lot of pain to be turned into rage. And there's so much so that you destroy yourself in the process. Kathy, you know how valuable your two boys are to you. And Cheryl, you know how valuable your son is to you. And uh, Cheryl, you just wouldn't want to lose your son to that kind of love. That's why I so monitor, you know, his interaction. and, um, And I'm all in his business, you know, and I really don't care. Would nobody else think about it? Um, you know, and I, um, but I am. I'm all in his business because I'm here to guide him. And if that's what it takes, being in his business, then that's what I'm going to do. Because I refuse to let him get too far interacting with someone who's very obsessive and very violent. Yeah, we can't let let that be tolerated either by women or by men. And Reverend Smith, uh, I don't know. I have been told that a certain segments of our population uh, that is accepting of that behavior even in the church. Oh, it, it is. It, it is very much so in the churches. Uh, matter of fact, you have preachers. I know a friend of mine right now who's, trying to divorce a, a, a pastor a friend, and uh, he's sending her through all kind of trouble. Uh, he used to beat on her and everything else, you know, and um, she got away from him, but he still comes around, and there are several others that I know, pastors that are actually beating on their wives, and they come to church like there's nothing happening. I, I don't understand that. I'm, I'm still dumbfounded by how you can do that and then stand up in the pulpit. Uh, that's when you say that you have been born again. That's the difference, I guess, when Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. So it, 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 it I guess it shouldn't uh, 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 befuddle my mind or mess my mind up when something like that happens. But it, it is sad. It's really sad how that happened. And, and, and Cheryl was definitely right. You, you, you don't, they are not, that's not your brother. That's not Cheryl's brother. My children are well, not my, my sisters. They're my children. What you going to do staying in my house, eating out my food, wearing my clothes, all this stuff, and then I'm going to let you tell me what to do and you're going to tell me to stay out of your business? I've seen a lot of parents come, well, you know, I said that's their room and I can't go in. the heck you talking about? That's my house. You know, and, 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 and that, to me, is where we're going wrong with, with this uh, uh, situation. We're allowing our kids to dictate to us. That's probably what happened to this young man. I don't know the family. I don't know the family, and I'm not putting anything, and I'm not putting them down in any way, shape, form, or fashion. 
But somewhere along the line, there was a misstep, a misstep, even if it was by a pastor like myself. There was a misstep, and he missed, we missed that step, and we allowed him to go into that gator hole, and when he got into that gator hole, none of us were there to pull him out. None of us were there to pull him out. And I just, I, I just, I said, oh, God, I'm sorry. I do, because somebody should have been, and there's so many others out there that we should be helping right now. And I pray to God that he allowed me to stay here long enough that I can continue to try to help some. There was a young girl in my church that was, every time I saw that girl 10 years ago when I was, she was a small girl, she was angry as I don't know what. And every day I would tell that girl, I love you. God don't make no jump, baby. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Every time I saw her, I would tell her those words. Now that girl is like 20 years old, and she is really a nice young lady, real nice young lady, because she felt. And every time I thought she needed something that she, her parents couldn't get her or something, and I had one of them, like I had a, a iPad and I was about to buy a new one, I gave her my iPad. You know, to let her know you are somebody, not just on materialistic things, but under God's umbrella. You are under God's umbrella. And I don't care what they say about you, how big you are, how tall you are, or slender you are, whatever. You are God's child. And as long as you are God's child, God don't make no jump. So you keep living, baby, and stop being angry. The world don't owe you nothing, but you do owe the world. Isn't that what Kennedy said? Think not what you can do for your you, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. We can do a lot for ourselves if we stop feeling sorry and having pity parties. But God, we definitely we need to figure out. We need to figure out a way to, to to save our children and save our children from inflicting pain on others. Because uh, D, this is uh, the circle that we're talking about. You know, we talked about whether or not we are we are our uh, brother's keeper. But every time we birth a child and allow that child to inflict pain on the world, that has to go back to to those who who raised that child. Yes, it does. And uh, uh, you know, to Reverend Smith, um, I want to let you know that you know. Understanding what our purpose is, you know, it is our purpose, I think, to uh, guide those who can't guide themselves, and whether that be an mm-hmm. adult or a child, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, with the experience that God has given us to go through life and to obtain that experience, and, and your experience, uh, Reverend Smith, is phenomenal to me, uh, to have gone through uh, the law enforcement and and come out on the other side and to and to be a pastor, then yes, we do have a duty to be our brother's keeper. Now, as, as a culture, as a culture, uh, we are on the African American side of things. We understand that, and it seems as though that the other side of the of the coin have no intent to be their brother's keeper and, and they let that be known. That's okay. That's that's not my plight to fight with them and try to convince them. That's something that they have to deal with with God. But uh, but but our our 
the thing in life that we yes we have to help one another. We have to we have to help one another to understand. We have to help one another again to to connect to where it is that we have more to live than live for than what we can see. And so um, you know, and I think that our responsibility is greater than the church because the church has sometimes and y'all forgive me for saying it. The church sometimes has its own agenda. So and that being un- that being understood, we can't wait on them to do what's right. And so uh, uh, those of us that's on this phone, uh, I think we all we have our own ministry to bring out to the world to the parents and the young children that don't seem to have the guidance necessary to do what's right and and to point them in the right direction. Thank you, James. All right, we're going to take another short break, and we're going to come back. And we're going to let everyone have that final word for this evening.
the Hollywood Fourteen. Can Hollywood push a candidate out into the arena? This is James Peter Shea, the host of Fox Love and Reflections, brought to you by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. We're here seven days a week, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and Sunday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We're here so that your voice can be heard loud and clear without interruption. We have to recognize that our voices have to be heard so that people understand what it is we think of the world that we exist in and the problems that we have. I am this woman. I am this woman that has set the expectations of the world to take my rightful place among the stars. The woman that does not use the traditional roadmaps to a given place, but create my own destination. I am this woman that maintain her intrinsic beauty in ways not determined by others' thoughts, but by my own sense of uniqueness my own desire of sexiness and allure. I am this woman designed by my creator to scale the height of the unbounded, allowing my talents to be seen by the masses while inspiring those yet to dream to greatness. I am the mother of the world, deserving the respect of all that walk under the gravity of the earth, igniting the love that exists in all men, while being the birthplace of the future. I am this woman. I am this woman that ascends the expectation of the world to take my rightful place among the stars. The woman who does not use the traditional roadmaps to a given place, but creates my own destination. I am this woman that maintains her intrinsic beauty in ways not determined by others' thoughts, but by my own sense of uniqueness, my own desire of sexiness and allure. I am this woman designed by my creator to scale the height of the unbounded, allowing my talents to be seen by the masses while inspiring those to dream. I am the woman of the world, deserving the respect of all that walk under the gravity of the earth. Igniting the love that exists in all men while being the birthplace of the future. I am this woman. What is your final thought for this evening? That was for me, James? Yes. Look, um, my final thought is that um, I want to encourage you all and thank you all for for at least least caring uh, where we are in this day and time. Um, The fight is not going to be easy, but we are up against the wall. Uh, sometimes it seems like we we end it by ourselves, so there's nobody else to depend on but ourselves. And I want to thank you all for coming on the show, and at least showing the interest and uh, and help uh, helping us to point ourselves in the right direction going forward. Thank you. All right, uh, Cassie, your final thought for this evening. 
Yes, first of all, we need to pray for our president. And then second of all, um, um, it was an old saying I remember when I was younger, that reach one, teach one. So if each one of us can reach one, then we should be able to teach him as we reach him. All right. Cheryl, your final thought for this evening. Um, This was a very good um, conversation. It allowed us to be able to express and to be able to look at different things that may be, you know, triggering some of the things that's going on in the lives of individuals who do such violence and hatred crimes against innocent people. And the fact that, um, you know, just so true that each one of us can continue to um, reach others in a way that we can make a difference in someone's life. We are our brother's keeper. And like I always say, whatever we're doing, we can always do better. Amen. Uh, Reverend Smith, your, your final thought for this evening. Well, I'd just like to thank God for each and every one of you uh, on the line uh, tonight. And I would just like to thank God for all of my life experiences so that I can, I'm, I'm, I know how and I know what to do in order to reach someone because I believe that God was, sent me, took me through all of these different things so that I would be able to use them, not to be selfish about it, but to use them. And monetarily and anything else I can do for anyone, I'm always going to try to do that in a, in a mannerable way and in a pleasing way. And I do it for the glory of God, not so that I can be seen on television, because I could care less about that. And a lot of people just need to get to that point and stop worrying about what others think of them. And we could do a lot more if we stop worrying about what Jody is saying or what Lucinda is saying. And I know we don't have those names anymore. But it's just the idea of we've got to stop the greed and stop worrying about what our salvation life is coming to. And then we will be able to make that transition and do what God really wants us to do. And I consider myself like Paul. Paul was a hellion. I was a hellion. But I turned out to be something what God wanted me to be. And I thank him for that. And I thank you all for listening, and I thank you for James for having this show so that it can reach a whole lot of other folk, and I just thank God, period. God bless you. All right. As always, guys, I thank you all so much for your support, and thank you, Reverend Smith, for what you bring to the table, and all the rest of you that bring your opinions to the air. It's all about what it is we think. All of us have an opinion, and we have to have our opinions heard so that others can grow from those opinions or strengthen their faith in the opinion that they have. So take care, everybody, and see you tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern Time as we try to make sure that our voices are heard loud and clear. Father, help your children. the road 
Jesus 